all profit is value extraction. And that means that all profit is theft from you. Corporate America is on welfare, and, and they you've got to get them off welfare. Welcome to Cars and Comrades, the meme page that is also a podcast. <laughs> uh, you're here with uh, me, apparently doing the introduction, Brandon, Bryant, Zach, and Connor. A bunch of he-hims just hanging out. How's everyone doing today? Pretty good. Get over doing here. Well. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, yeah, I really, like, I didn't plan ahead for this at all, but... Today, we're going to be discussing trikes. Bryant is going to school us on how apparently they're all scams. I mean, not all of them, but a good good portion. And we're not talking about like the little like radio flyer trike that you would ride around as a as a three-year-old. I'm talking, you know, oh, like stuff with motors. Me. Yeah. Thank <laughs> yeah. God. Thank God. I was going to be so disappointed. Yeah, goofy uh, three wheeled vehicles, you know, right? Yeah, three wheeled vehicles, trikes, tadpoles, deltas, the whole the whole gamut. We'll go into all the details. Okay. But um uh I guess we'll also do uh we'll do project car updates first. Um I forget I think I think Zach, it's your turn since you were gone last week. Ah oh, shit. I just had a bunch of Twizzlers. Give me like two seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. We, we can come back around to Zach. Uh, I'm, I'm almost ready. Hold on. Okay. No, take your time. We're not in a hurry. Okay. Good to go. Yeah. Um, what are we doing? Project car updates. Uh, well, my uh, Ranger is back in the shop. Uh, of course. Yep. Fix or repair daily is the truest (laughs) acronym ever. Fuck Fords. Fuck Henry Ford. Fuck that entire fucking, uh, corporation. That being said, uh, I am seriously considering buying a Ford Maverick, uh, (laughs) because I think they're cool. (laughs) Like a, like a new one or one from the seventies? Like a new one. Not, not an old school one. Um, I have to have a truck for my job. Um, so those, so, those yeah. Mavericks, are they, um, I know they're kind of like supposed to be a smaller ish truck, but mm-hmm. I, I know they also brought the Ranger back. So how does it compare to the Ranger? Is it like bigger, smaller kind of in between or something? They're it's smaller. Small, it's smaller than a modern Ranger, but it's actually probably about the same size as my current 93. Really? Ranger. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now I get why people are excited about that. Cause that to me is that's the proper size for a pickup truck. Yeah, it's honestly still a little bit big for a pickup. Like, honestly, yeah, it could be smaller. Yeah, I mean, I think of it, course it could be because they've just all gotten so fucking bloated and huge, um, which everything has. I mean, you know, I look at a fucking new Camaro and I'm just like, man, that thing is fat as shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, let me real quick before because i do want to talk about the maverick a little bit real quick but uh just to go over my current ranger uh 
it the transmission overheated. Uh, it stopped shifting gears entirely. Uh, Not good. The day, the day that I got permanent plates on it, like. Oh. That day, I was driving away from the DMV, and it was just like, nope, I'm not going to shift anymore. So, yeah, I took the transmission out. I thought it was just the torque converter at first, but I took the transmission out, and I was like, man, when I was taking this out, like, I parked it, and then, like, probably a good hour and a half, two hours later, I was taking the exhaust off, and it was completely cold, but the transmission was still hot to the touch. Like Ooh. I couldn't put my hand on it. So I was like, hmm, maybe it wasn't just the torque converter. <laughs> so I went ahead and um, took the transmission to a shop. And um, yeah, that's been almost three weeks now. Uh, what is no that? word from the shop on where where they are, whether they're ever going to get it done. Oh, I hate Nothing that. like that. Those big jobs yeah. are always like that, too. The bigger the job, the less likely you are to hear anything about it. And you're just like, oh, I hope I don't owe $10,000 at the end of this. Yeah, I I mean, I just wanted like I was like, hey, can you please like keep me updated? You know, like, oh, yeah. If you say know. that, it makes it worse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you- because honestly, if he gets in there and it's like completely toast, I'm just going to say, fuck it. Honestly, I, I don't think I'll even have him fix it what is, at this point. What do you, it's not worth it. What do you even think? I, I don't even understand like how a transmission overheats. I guess I've just never come across that, really. I've overheated a few transmissions. What is that? Yeah, I think I think the biggest issue is it's a really small transmission, like just physically, size-wise. Mm-hmm. Like the clutches inside of it are small. Uh, it was probably a little undersized for the truck stock. Um, and that was, and then you, you know, put a big old lift kit on there, probably a little yeah. extra stress. Yeah. Yeah. That was 30 years ago when I was at, you know, not five and a half inch lift and 33 inch tires <laughs> on it. Um, and me being the, you know, the fucking just absolute dipshit that I am thought, ah, you know, whoever did this was thinking they wouldn't have just thrown That's what massive I would tires under this thing. That's not even stupid. That's what I would think. It. I always assume like, well, I don't know. It's worked this long. Yeah. How bad can it be? I've seen other people do this. It's fine. Right. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a little late to make this recommendation at this point, but I'm a big fan of redundant transmission coolers. Here's the hmm. fucking thing. The, like, the stock transmission cooler on that goes into the radiator. I run an extra one besides what's in the radiator. There's also an auxiliary one already on the truck. Okay. Beside that one. Well, now I'm thinking you... <laughs> Something can't... else is up. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I I don't know what happened. I mean, it's not the biggest cooler out there. It was probably like uh, 11 row cooler. You know, it's not huge. It's just a little guy. Um, and it was like a little grimy, you know, so probably not working at maximum efficiency but yeah it had to be something else i just i don't know i'm gonna have the guy look at it if it's worth you know fixing up maybe i'll fix it up put it back in there i already bought another auxiliary cooler that i'm gonna replace the one that was in there with that one it's 23 rows it's a little bigger and i got a transmission temp gauge that i'm gonna run Those uh, just to keep an eye on it yeah um, but either way, like no matter what happens, I'm done with this truck. Frankly, it's just been one fucking headache after the next. Yeah, and I need a daily driver truck. 
to get me to and from work and this thing gets like 11 miles to the gallon and has a massive lift on it it's not it's not at all what i need like if someone wanted it for you know a fun weekend off-roader it's kind of a fucking awesome truck for that honestly like it's it kicks ass going slow over rocks and shit but to drive down the highway to and from work every day it's just a fucking heap man it's not suited to that whatsoever Fair enough. so yeah that's where i am on that i'm definitely selling it and like i said yeah maybe looking at getting a maverick here's a few more things about the maverick they come in msrp 1995 wait really? under 20 grand Yep, oh shit! Base model. Might, oh fuck! I might have to look into one of these. Oh man, I'm excited <laughs> get, now. What the the base model is front wheel drive only with a 2.5 liter four cylinder and a and an electric motor, so it's hybrid. It gets okay. 47 miles to the gallon combined. Oh I, no! Shit! Wow! Yep, yep. It's fucking. This sounds like the I best mean, vehicle ever. Why are, I know. why are other vehicles being purchased right now? This is awesome. <laughs> that's what I'm fucking doing. That's Y'all better than a Prius. Me even more I think, and that, more. That, yeah. think that's better than an, even a modern Prius, right? Or do they are they up to like comparable? Yeah, it's, it's within the same realm. Maybe I don't know, like off a the top of my head. Maybe like a first or second gen Prius. I, I think they're getting in the 60s now. Oh yeah, I guess everything everything to me a new car is 10 years old. Yeah. yeah, like literally to me, 2010. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh, that's a brand new ass car. I'm, I know, <laughs> newest car I've ever I, owned, 2003. I, I think I retweeted this on the on our account, but there was this one guy that was saying, you know, I love being poor because if I get in a car that's you know less than five years old, it feels like a spaceship. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah, dude. Sometimes I'll see somebody just driving like a good condition, like 03. And I'm like, where did this motherfucker get all this money from? And then somebody else has to point out 20 years old. Like, oh yeah, my neighbor has like a around that, like a 2004, uh, maybe like 2010 um, uh, Accord V6 that is in minty shape, perfect shape. It's like you must have had a, that thing in a garage for like the last 10 years or something. It does not fit the neighborhood at all. <laughs> I love that. You just see a car that's definitely been in a garage and you're like, whoa, ho, ho, look at Mr. Moneybags over here. <laughs> fucking keeping his car in a garage. <laughs> the fuck are you doing for a living? <laughs> yeah. So good, good job on somehow just immediately selling everyone on the show uh, a Maverick. Yeah, I should work for Ford. Ford, give me money, you fucking fascist piece of shits. <laughs> I hate you. Give me money. All right. Yeah, I think that's it for me. Well, I, I mean, I have heard good things about the Maverick. Uh, you know, friend of the show, James Gilboy, drove one. Um, you know, he works at The Drive. So, um, listeners, you can go check out his reviews if you're interested. I, I forget which one he drove, if it was the, the base model hybrid like you were talking about, or there's the the top line has the turbo engine and all wheel mm-hmm. drive and stuff. Yeah. But I mean, they, they seem like pretty decent for a, uh, you know, a commuter truck, I guess. Yeah. And just to sell them even harder, uh, you only have to go up to the mid-level, the XLT package to get all wheel drive. And that one is MSRP, I think around 25, maybe 26 grand. So okay. not even that much more. And you could get all wheel drive instead of just the front wheel. I feel like that's a lot for if that's the only thing you get, but I'm, I'm guessing there's more. Oh, no, there's. That. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's like a bunch of other shit. You get like, you know, fucking, I don't know, leather and a bigger screen and all the doodads and hoo-hahs and whatnots. Hmm. I'm going to have to look at Mavericks now. Like, <laughs> you might have convinced me. Yeah, they're me. fucking sick. Although, actually, like, nobody look at a Maverick until I get mine because they're hard to get your hands <laughs> on. So fuck off until I get mine. And then everybody else can. <laughs> yeah. yeah when, you, when you keep saying MSRP, I'm just like, well, yes, but what are you actually going to pay for it? Because right. I feel like well, everyone's paying over MSRP right now. That's the thing. They're they're hard to come by, but from what I've seen, most of the ones that are available are not more than like two, some occasions, three grand over MSRP, which in the current climate is fucking insane. Like I've seen several that were at or maybe a grand over MSRP. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at used cars right now, just window shopping. Like I think we talked last week about how it's a terrible idea to buy anything right now. Yeah. But yeah. like there was... I think it was a Mazda Speed 3 that I was looking at, like, I don't know, two months ago, has gone up in price by two grand. Like, the mm-hmm. same exact car, <laughs> you know, on the same website, Auto Trader or whatever, is now, you know, was like 6000 now it's 8000 or whatever. There's oh, a yeah. fucking uh, a Fiesta ST with a salvage title for twelve grand. Oh, well, that ain't right. Fuck. Yeah, yeah fuck. a really good friend of mine who's constantly like wheeling and dealing like flipping cars and like stuff like that has just been telling me more and more and more about occasions where like he'll call somebody because they have an ad up for a car and he just gets that they're accepting offers because they're not like people aren't even saying like this car is ten thousand dollars it's like well ten thousand dollars our best offer which used to mean eight thousand dollars yeah that's yeah and now it might be 14 <laughs> yeah oh uh, yeah that's wild yeah it's, it's wild yeah just to put it out there like you can find used mavericks right now they just came out but there are used ones on the market for like anywhere from like 40 to 45 grand <laughs> for certain models that's yeah. outrageous like yeah if you want a car right now you can get a used car for over msrp of a new car but huh. if you want a new car, you could pay like, you know, under certain circumstances, you could pay uh, a reasonable markup, like a little bit over MSRP. But you're probably going to have to wait, you know, six to eight weeks, maybe six months, maybe more. So, yeah. The used car market is fucked and it's impossible to get a new car. <laughs> Good luck buying things. Good to know. Fortunately, oh, well. I would never drive something made after 1975. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I just think it's a good thing that all this is left in the hands of the market. Working <laughs> yeah. real great. Yeah. When, and all these, uh, you know, electric uh, startup trike companies are going to save us all from from these overpriced uh, four wheel dr- four wheel cars. That's, you know, that's certainly where I'm expecting this episode to go. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you're going to give us the evidence to uh to believe that oh yeah i fully expect to swear off my uh love for the maverick and realize that actually the practical option is to get a trike yeah but get a reliant robin (laughs) oh yeah i mean they i think they made a pickup version of that so oh my god (laughs) cool (laughs) interesting (laughs) all right well uh do we, do we want to hear hear from Connor and see what he's worked on? Oh, I you suppose. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. 
All right. Um, well, I haven't uh, I haven't worked on too much. Um, I mean, I've just been mostly, you know, cleaning the car a little bit. I'm getting a new windshield, you know, banner on the visor or whatever. Um, so that'll be cool. I'm excited for that. Um, which I yeah. I put up. A, I saw the. Uh, yeah, I was going to say I saw the concept art you had. They looked pretty cool. Yeah, I put up a poll on uh, <laughs> on our Instagram like story, um, and I just went with the top vote getter because I was like, I cannot decide between. There's two that I really couldn't decide between, so um, I figured whatever, whatever gets more votes, that's what we'll do. So that's what I am doing. I'm excited about it. I think it'll look good. You know, I've heard people say if you can't make a decision, like flip a coin and see if you get mad about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, um, or you know just ask instagram yeah just sometimes you're just like all right look if i can't decide it means that like i can't pick wrong so yeah um, yeah so that'll that'll look cool the old one that's on there now is just decrepit and it looks really shitty and makes the whole car look shitty um so when that's fresh and new the whole car should look better hopefully mostly I don't know. Nice. It, any any updates on on it running better, or is it just still the no, same shit? No, same shit. In fact, I, I I keep forgetting to follow up with the shop I was hoping to have uh, help me diagnose it. So well, a different shop. So yeah, that's still up in the air. I should hopefully remember to call them this week. Um. So yeah. So nope, it's still just running like a piece of shit. Um. Which on that end, I was uh. I went out of town this weekend, so I had a little bit of a drive um, to go see my dad. He lives uh, in another state, and so I was, like, trying to test my gas mileage, um, like, because I've got the gauge on there, and it it's it tells me sweet little lies that I very much <laughs> like, and they might be true. They might not. I don't know, um, but I was like, oh, you know what I should do is I should, you know, test what this looks like by looking at the you know, fuel gauge and seeing how, what distance I can go at a relatively stable speed with like the cruise control, which for some reason, my cruise control like works really spotty and it'll just like randomly kick me out. So that's might have something to do with the tune. I don't know. But anyway, so I was trying to like keep it relatively stable and constant and measure my gas mileage. And I, I'm sure there's a, like, you're supposed to like, go from filled up to empty, but then it's hard to, you have to go really, really far if you can keep a constant speed. You know what I mean? Otherwise it's like, yeah, if it's in city driving, like the range for that is just who knows what you're going to get. You know what I mean? It's not like it isn't situations that you can control really. So I'd rather not do that. But like I measured from three quarters of a tank to half a tank and I'm thinking, okay, that's one quarter, right? I got a 20 gallon tank. That's one quarter. So that's five gallons. And I, I got, how you do this. what? This is not the right way to do this. It's definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> I also, so I also like, I discovered like there's at least a few gallons that it keeps off the fucking thing to, you know, for when you're on empty or something, it keeps three gallons. And I was like, but even that it's not linear is what I've discovered because from three quarters to a half, I got 90 miles and I started like, I got to my dad's and I was like, and it like, I arrived at exactly the point where it was like, it's on the line. And I was like, like, I'm like doing the math. I'm like, 
oh my god, I got like 12 miles to the gallon. Like, what the fuck's going on? It's like, oh no, this is terrible. And then I was like, well, you know, even if it's, you know, marginally better, I'm like, the best this could possibly be getting is like 18 miles to the gallon highway. And I'm like, oh, that's awful. Then on the way back, going from a half to a quarter, right? So the same amount in theory, I got 148 miles. So uh, I don't know. The fuel gauge is like not linear at all. Oh, and then because and then I got a chance to watch. I wasn't testing it as stringently, but it went from one quarter to almost empty in like 50 miles or 60. So it's like wildly different results <laughs> depending on where you are on that gauge. So, OK, Con- Connor, you're giving me an aneurysm. Uh... <laughs> I want it to work that way. It's easier to measure for me. <laughs> The easiest way to check gas mileage, like let's say you're taking a hundred mile trip, you fill up and write down your mileage. Then you drive a hundred miles and you fill up again, see how much fuel you put in and then do the math based on how many miles. Wait, say that again. Mm -hmm. So like, let's say you drive a hundred miles and you start, you you start it, you start it full, right? Start it completely full. Okay drive your hundred miles and then fill it back up and then see how much it takes. And if it took four gallons, then you were getting 25 miles to a gallon. Okay. That's how I'm going to do it then. That's way better because yeah, looking at the fuel gauge, I also, I was like, there's also a certain amount that's at the top where it's like past the full line, which I get to regularly and you could fill it up well past that line. So, so I don't think that, yeah, you're introducing a lot I don't of variables think that here. Sending unit technology <laughs> has changed a lot, but if in the last couple of decades they've done a different design, so be it. But every sending unit I've ever seen was a float that was on a swivel, and I'm not going to try and do it on an audio platform, but I could get out a pen and paper and show you mathematically why that's not ever going to be consistent across all the whole range. Yeah, see, yeah. Like, to me, it's, it's literally geometrically impossible for that to be the case based on the type of sending units that I only know of those existing. Yeah. I mean, I, well, I put together that I was like, there's something wrong. But to me, I'm always like, I don't know. I see these fucking marks, half a tank. I'm like, well, I assume that means I've got half a tank of gas. But apparently, I don't think that's how it works. So it's uh, it's yeah. a, it's kind of a relative thing. So yeah, I got wildly different results. And so... As of now, I can continue to just believe what the uh, miles per gallon gauge tells me, which is beautiful numbers. I love them. So, yeah. Do the thing I just told you, and you'll know your actual fuel economy. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. Well, when I thought it was really bad, I was like, oh, I don't want to know the truth. But um, yeah, maybe I'll try that method. That that should work a lot better. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, and I mean, uh, what do you call it? Gas tanks aren't like a perfect cube or a sphere or anything. So like they're, they're usually a lumpy shape. So they'll, uh, they'll, you know, get weird numbers at the top or bottom. But I mean, the way I usually check for mileage is just whenever I fill up for gas, I reset the trip odometer and, and then I'll just, you know, however many miles I did divided by however many gallons I put in the tank. Yeah. Which is, is, that, that was the thing I just explained. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Well, the, yeah, if you do the whole ass, like, if you just do, like, your whole tank and you kind of average it over time, you get that kind of combined fuel mileage, which is depends on your driving, but... 
Uh, right. I like yeah. where I can control the variables like on a highway drive. Yeah, it's the best case scenario, but it's also like the thing that I can actually regulate the best. Um, so anyway, that makes that makes sense. I got to try it that way. Oh, that reminds me. Speaking of um, Ford Mavericks getting good mileage. Did you guys see that? The guy with the 70 something Ford Maverick that put the lawnmower carburetor on it. Yes. And he's getting like 40 miles per gallon. That's awesome. On the highway or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Going real slow, but. No, dude, he was cruising at like 70. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he was basically thinking that, you know, if you get that small diameter carburetor, um, and he had some kind of electronic control that like dialed in the, um, the air idle air field. circuit to like, to get, you know, the stoichiometric. Well, it, it was such a rudimentary carburetor. There weren't really different circuits. So he created, yeah. he created an electronic device. Like this guy must be some sort of engineer. Cause that was the one part I couldn't figure out, but he, uh, he made it so that he has a controllable, uh, intake leak or right. vacuum leak. So that like, if the carburetor started to like run richer or leaner, it would even it out through that. But like, yeah, the, it, it, because it's such a small carburetor, it's pulling a fuck ton of vacuum. And so it's atomizing the fuel really well because like hmm. uh, a lot of people don't realize this, but like, uh, like your average carburetor on like a more performance oriented motor, but like mild is a, usually a 650 or 750 Holly. Yeah. And that's like uh, that 650 CFM. That there are like calculations that you can do to figure out actually how much CFM you're making because it's RPM dependent. If you don't need 650 CFM to cruise at two to 3000 RPM, that's for max power high up in the RPM range. Yeah. So something smaller is able to flow enough air to like cruise around and have a good time. But when it's small like that, it's, it's sucking a lot harder and creating more vacuum and better fuel atomization and a better burn. It's, hmm. I'm really interested in the physics. So it limits you up top, power. but like it, it helps you a lot at the bottom. That's pretty, that's pretty sweet. Yes. It's, it's kind of like an unfortunate, like a uh, uh, thing about the system, but no, it seems yeah, cool. Like, Seems to work to me. That's that's awesome. Low end fuel economy inherently, like in 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 a carbureted sort of setup, eliminates high end performance, and yeah. vice versa. Yeah, yeah. I mean, on the other hand, there's this. Um, I think it was like a Serbian guy with a, a first gen MR2. Um, he put motorcycle carburetors on it and was getting like 16 miles per gallon. I mean, it sounded really cool because it had four carbs, uh, but. Uh, yeah, you know, if you have bigger carbs, it's going to be slow air. It's not going to mix as well. You're going to have big, uh, you know, drops of unburned fuel going through your engine. Yeah, the guy actually like watched. Uh, he he explains everything about that really well. I, I I'm really interested in like the science of like how you get good fuel economy. And I, I, so I knew a lot going into watching that video and I still learned stuff. So it was cool. Yeah. Sweet. I wonder, I wonder how long that carburetor will last under those circumstances. Like, is that not just going to put a shitload of stress 
on such a small carburetor or am I like, I mean, I know it's just vacuum, but that's still like a lot of airflow through a very small. I mean, it's made of, it's made of cast aluminum. I'm sure it's pretty sturdy, right? Yeah. You're not creating like hundreds of pounds of vacuum for something like that. It might be 20 to 30 pounds of vacuum or whatever the measurement for vacuum is. It's like what bar? Millim- uh, yeah. Inches or, of mercury. Or, yeah, yeah, millimeters of mercury or whatever it is. Yeah. 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 But even if it's creating a lot of vacuum for a motor, it's no, still not creating so much vacuum that it's going to like cave the carburetor in. And I would even argue that because right. of the simplicity of that style of carburetor, it's probably going to like hold its tune longer and better than a more complicated carburetor might. That's a fair point. I was thinking more of like the, uh, I guess, somewhat consumable parts of it, like the jets and the seals and things like that, if it was going to put an undue strain on those. But you're right. I mean, a more complex carburetor would just have more jets that would in turn be smaller. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to see if he keeps posting about that because it's it's an interesting setup. And if if I could figure out how to do like the weird electronic thing that he did, I would be considering the possibility of buying lawnmower carburetors right now. Because <laughs> like, dude, the motor in my Ford tops out at around 3000 RPMs. It, that's top end for that thing. Wow. Huh. Probably like 3500 if I if I'm being honest. Why, why, why so low? That seems absurdly um, low. Well, that doesn't mean that the engine itself couldn't handle higher RPMs, but it means that it doesn't flow enough air to go faster than that. Oh, okay. Like gotcha. my, That engine has a single barrel carburetor with one of the worst intake designs I've ever seen. Hmm. <laughs> okay, then. Like when, when I replaced the plugs, it... It looked roughly like if if I'm at ballparking it, my center two cylinders were probably rich. The next two outward were roughly correct, and the outermost cylinders were lean. Nice. <laughs> yeah, because that's how good a fuel distribution it's getting. <laughs> nice. Okay. Very fun. That's that's why I think there's so much room to get better fuel economy out of that motor, even already getting 16 miles to a gallon, because it's operating so inefficiently and still getting that mileage. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, well, good shit. All right, well, Connor, you, you're you're done with your updates then? Uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, uh, it's just uh, gas mileage stuff, and then uh, oh, I cleaned my quote-unquote nice wheels uh which they haven't been properly cleaned in years like i off the car really cleaned them and they're not the best by any means but they're clean now so that's cool but that's it that's that's all i i've done so i did a little bit all right well brian what have you been up to well um nothing much with my mr2 um i did realize uh i i the Speedometer is reading a little bit high, probably because I, I don't know if it's just like that from the factory or if it's because I put lower profile tires on it. But so I guess I'm going a little slower than I thought and also maybe getting a little bit better mileage than I thought. Uh, so mixed blessings there, I guess. The other day I got a, uh, a little postcard in the in the mail from the uh, Colorado DMV saying I got to you know re-register my Sabaru and it says emissions test is required. Ooh. So, Uh-oh. 
so on Tuesday, I was uh, I was working an earlier shift, so I got out of work uh, earlier in the afternoon. So I took it to the emissions testing place nearby, and it was only about like ten minutes drive away. So it didn't really get a you know full warm up, and I failed that test. So I'm like, all right, well, I'll just you know, in a couple days, next time I'm working an earlier shift, I'll uh, I'll just you know go to the next the next place uh, out that's you know like a 20 minute drive or whatever. And that'll get everything warmed up. And and the other weird thing was um, when I left the, the testing place, um, my car was idling real high and, and the, I think the um, throttle cable was sticking. Um, so I, mm-hmm. I pulled over on the side of the road and, and poured some uh, automatic transmission fluid on the, uh, the cable and it, that seemed to free it up. But, um, mm-hmm. but anyways, I, um, on Friday, I, I uh, took it to the the other emissions place and got it fully warmed up, and um, you know made sure the the throttle wasn't sticking before I went in there, and uh, and then it failed again, and the throttle was sticking again. So I'm not sure what's going on with the throttle, but I guess the aftermarket high flow cat that's in there is not working. So I'm just going to put the stock cat on it and try to figure out what kind of tune it needs and uh, take it back there in, in a week or two. Wait, why would the so, high, wait, why would the high flow cap be giving you an issue? Uh, you know, I was talking to someone and, and I think just like those high flow cats, they kind of, they, they're focused more on flow than good emissions. Like they, they make them so that when they're brand new, they'll just barely pass is my understanding. Yeah. I've heard um, that. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of degrade over the years. Oh, so damn! Because I I I've got some high flow cats coming at some point, but yeah, um, I'm also gonna you know space out the O2 sensors so that I'm not getting an actual reading anyway. But well, hmm. keep your keep your stock cats if oh, you can. They, those have been gone for a long time, but uh, e. yeah. Oops. Uh, get a PO box in Montana. I mean, I have uh-huh. test I have test pipes right now. <laughs> Okay. And it ha- it's had that for years, and it passes emissions that way. But, really? Yep. Interesting. Yep. I've been passing emissions for a long time with that. So, huh. but I, I want to put on, you know, high flow cats again because I'm like, well, I don't want to destroy the environment as much as I have been. Right. Not that my individual choices are making that much of a difference, but y- you know, right? Yeah, I want to feel makes good. It feel good. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's nice that now that I'm. Uh... Now that I fixed the fuel leak and I'm not dripping gas all over the place, you know. Yeah. Now it now it fails my emissions <laughs> test. But uh, oh, and it's it's leaking a little bit of coolant too. I still gotta figure out. You know, probably something with the coolant reroute is just a tiny tiny little drip. So not a big deal, but you know, I'll have to whenever I jack it up to to take the uh to change out the cat i'll have to look at that and see if i need to tighten up something but yeah fun stuff cool cool well does that bring us to me then yep yep well as i've established i am laid off so all i fucking do lately is turn wrenches and weld and shit so i will give us the abridged version uh, cause mostly I've been working on a car for someone else, uh, 71 Mustang. I'm replacing like the inner like fender structures for, but, uh, otherwise I haven't really been up to too, too much. Uh, my Chevy is broken down again. My fuel pump went out and 
I haven't really fucked with that. But because the Chevy went down the same or the day after the wheel bearing on my Ford finally gave up the ghost, I was forced to fix something. And so I replaced the wheel bearing on the Ford, which if anybody knows anything about wheel bearings, you press that on, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't have a press, so I hit it with a hammer for an hour. Mm hmm. Yeah, no, that's 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 the story. That's how I installed it. I oh. I rigged up a thing so that I didn't like damage the bearing, and me and my buddy just took turns hitting it with a hammer for an actually forty minutes. Wow, that's that's real. I mean, what would you use like a section of pipe or something to hammer out? I put V blocks on the actual bearing retainer, mm -hmm. um, so that it was like. The, distributing the pressure pretty yeah. well then a piece of tube over to actually hit the v-blocks and then a piece of teflon on top of the tube just to kind of limit the like bounce and everything which probably made it less efficient but it like made it a little bit easier to to handle yeah and all, all because a friend of mine was like oh you can actually just do this one little simple trick to yeah. draw the bearing onto the the bearing surface and then I get home after having like done all this work at my shop and now not having like a vehicle to run around in. And I look at it and I'm like, I don't know how high he was when he came up with this idea, but like it, it, it wouldn't work as a concept, let alone as a reality. <laughs> like, yeah, what it just, it, it's difficult to explain without like a diagram, but it just was not a thing. Yeah. Was it, was it one of those things where you like, um, put grease in something and then hit something else with a hammer and the grease is supposed to push it through or whatever? No, so the retaining plate, he was like, if you just get the bearing started, the retaining plate, when you tighten it, will draw the bearing onto the axle. Huh. Which oh, okay. sounds really straightforward, except that the thing that the, the retaining plate actually mates against is the bearing. So it will pull the bearing into the housing in the like rear end, but it won't draw the axle onto the bearing. Gotcha. Yeah, I think the grease thing was for getting pilot bearings out of flywheels. So I'm, the, a, I'm yeah. He doesn't listen to the show, so I can complain about him. The, the part that actually was infuriating to me was that this was the solution he had told me like earlier on because I was trying to make my life easier and before I had to do this in a pinch, my plan was to like turn my oven on like 140 degrees or something and throw the bearing in the oven and then ice the axle for like half an hour. Yeah. Because, you know, heating the outside part and cooling the inside part is a really good way to make something slide on super easy. Yeah. I've done that for bearings for different yeah. stuff. Yeah. And my buddy was just like, why are you overcomplicating this? You can just do this simple thing. And so like in a pinch, I was just like, okay, well, fine. I'm in a bind. I'm just going to do the thing that he said so I can get it done real quick. And I'm like, man, if I would have literally just thought about this for an extra 30 minutes, I actually would have saved myself an hour. But, you know, whatever. Yeah, Sometimes your friends goes. give you bad advice. Sometimes you're the friend that gives somebody bad advice. <laughs> yeah. Like shit happens, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, sorry. Did you have something else there? No, everything else has just been me working on other people's stuff. Now that I'm laid off, like I am everyone's mechanic. 
I uh, did. I tell you guys about the the weird shit that I saw uh, last Monday around the that concert. Or I think we talked about that, you know, off recording or whatever. But, I don't um, remember. Okay. Um. So that that Monday, I was driving home from work, and I was like, "What is that smell? Is that like burning brakes or something? Is is there something wrong with my car?" Oh, right. You did. Yeah. Okay, I remember this. <laughs> So I, I was like, what, what is that smell? And then I'm like, okay, it's not my car. It's some, someone in front of me. And then so, you know, traffic moves along and I get up behind this Dodge Avenger. So basically, you know, a Chrysler Sebring that looks more aggressive. And um, they had like 20 something giant wheels on it. Um, and the tires were rubbing on the inner fender liners and smoking. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I don't know it. It looked cool, but it didn't smell so great. Um, and then, uh, and then after uh, the uh, the concert, I was leaving, and I was getting turning onto the highway on the on ramp. So I, you know, turned right onto the on ramp, and just as I turn, I see someone uh, reversing towards me, so backing up down the on ramp. And I'm like, "What the hell are you doing?" Like there were people behind me, so I couldn't back up. And so I'm just stuck there. And then, and then eventually I'm like, find enough space to go around this person. But it's like, I don't know, like people, I don't know. I, I've noticed the last few years, I feel like people drive worse than they used to. Everyone forgot how to oh. drive over COVID and that's it. Just I wonder if it's just someone was, was a little too high or drunk after the concert and doesn't got lost or something. I don't know. No, no, Connor's just falling into the, the trap of every person that is slowly turning into an old man where people, <laughs> people used to dr- know how to drive and just, I don't know what's up with kids these days. I, I was trying not to say that. But. I mean, it's probably true. It's... Uh, I mean, I, I certainly do some dumb shit on, on the road sometimes. I exclusively do dumb shit. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, sorry. Um, I think uh, I think Connor, we we wanted to do like a little update on the whole Elon Musk Twitter nonsense, since we were kind of late um, putting the the last episode out, or I was late. I shouldn't say we. That was my fault. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no worries. Um, just I don't even remember what our conclusions were. I think we kind of left them somewhat vague, like uh, it could go through, it could not. But I remember saying, you know that Twitter was beginning whatever their poison pill defense was the latest news when we went to record. And apparently that didn't actually like go into effect. Like they were instituting it, but that didn't mean that it went into effect. So whatever, they didn't do it um, because apparently Elon Musk had a genuine interest in purchasing it. So he claims Um, it seems they made a deal. So he's officially going to be in the process of acquiring Twitter uh, by leveraging a bunch of Tesla stock, which is currently falling um, because surprisingly people kind of were not super eager for him to do this, even though the public debate seems to be super in favor of it, Uh, you know, or at least concern. I don't know. But anyway, there's a whole deal. He's not going to be the owner until you know months 
months away. This is going to go through all kinds of complex processes and whatnot. So we don't know if it's going to happen or not. I mean, it's no one's going to know for months. And I mean, Musk is going to get a ton of PR for this for the next several months. He's going to be the guy that everyone's talking about. And to me, I think that's kind of his that's how he makes his money. That's how he props up Tesla stock is by keeping himself in the news. So I, I don't know if he actually wants Twitter or not. He seems to already be in violation of the deal he made with Twitter because <laughs> he's like not supposed to like shit talk Twitter or say things that like could send their stock price dropping like and disparaging the company that he's buying. And he's doing that literally every day in writing is so you know, so I don't know. He's technically already kind of violating um, that agreement in action. Whether or not he'll be held accountable is, is doubtful. But I don't know. I mean, he, he may not even he's officially buying Twitter, but it may not go through. So, like, you know, keeping it real. This is an ongoing situation that's just it's going to go back and forth, I suspect, for the next few months. Like, we're just not going to know. So. This is probably going to be a case where we're just going to have a quick update every once in a while, but um, yeah, that's how it is. <laughs> Don't ask me. It's just, I think Elon Musk is just trying to keep his name in the news, and it's working really, really well. So Tesla stock is up. I can't wait for one year from now when like everybody praises Elon Musk for inventing Twitter. I know. He's the founder of Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm telling you, I I see reactionary car people, and they literally I I, I saw people like on Facebook, which I'm rarely ever on because I just I hate Facebook, but I check it every once in a while, and I saw a bunch of conservative. Oh yeah, you know, oh we're all going back to Twitter because we have free speech now, and it's just like you. We're all going back to Twitter because we can start saying slurs again. They and they're just like, oh, Twitter, Twitter, no free speech. Elon say free speech now. Twitter free speech, and they think it's like already happened. It's just they're the. It's unfortunate they're, you know, reactionary people just been taken for a fucking ride by capitalism, and they they believe all the lies, and they're just one hundred percent in. <laughs> they don't know how anything works, but they're in for a hundred percent. Elon Musk hard worker he cares about free speech except in all the cases where he demonstrably does not care about free speech but they believe yeah, I mean, he cares about his free speech sure yeah yeah not like you know organizing workers or anything oh no, god he's no. gonna crush their free speech but, yeah so i mean as long as he gets to say slurs and shit it's a nonsense story works. it's probably gonna make things worse and i i there's a lot of people and i on the left and I get it, you know, who are like, let's try not to pretend that this is super important because we're just adding fuel to the fire. And I get that that's the truth. Um, and a lot of people go, Oh, Twitter's not real life. And I would say, well, it's not, but it also is reported in news media that people consume constantly. So whatever's happening on Twitter becomes public discourse. <laughs> I don't know the yeah, way like, around that. I just... It's 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 a historical thing that like social media sites rise and fall. Like we can lose Twitter. I'm cool with that. I'm I'm just trying to envision the double win where he buys Twitter and then 
Twitter tanks because every, it just sucks with him owning it. And so then, like, it wipes out huge swaths of his fortune while also destroying the social media site that's the worst. And it would, because he's leveraging so much Tesla stock, it could potentially hurt Tesla stock price too, which would be three wins is better than two. You know, (laughs) it's just a part of me thinks he can't lose. It's like everything you're like, oh, he should, his shit should have collapsed a long time ago. And it just doesn't. So, and he'll turn it into 4chan. And I, I, that seems like it can't work. I don't know. 4chan sucks. That's why people don't go there. But, you know, who knows how it's going to work out. He may end up buying it. He may end up backing out of the deal, which he will make all kinds of fanfare about. And he will be in the news even longer. So I hate to say it. This is a this is a downer, but I'm pretty sure Elon Musk wins no matter what in this case. Even even if he takes a, you know, oh, he, he loses 50 billion dollars. He'll make that up in two months. I mean, yeah, I think he'll be fine either way. Yeah, I also, think I hate that losing fifty billion dollars just means he loses like twenty five percent of his net worth. Well, and yeah. then and then he'll get it right back because like it's this when the stock price fluctuates, that's what, how his net worth is determined. So it goes up, it goes down. He he, it doesn't it doesn't bother him one bit. So unfortunately, I think we're gonna have the worst billionaire. Which I mean, Twitter was already, you know capitalist media essentially all social media is but um it'll be marginally worse probably and um he's gonna make a ton of money whether he buys it or not so yay so yeah that's that's the update um just kind of letting people know this is likely going to be a news story for uh the next several months for at least for the rest of the year probably um and we have no idea how it's going to shake out so that's that's how it's gonna be. But anyway, that's my that's the update. Sorry, I just uh, figured we should probably address that because it's gonna be an ongoing debacle. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if nothing else, it's like it's a little microcosm of capitalism and how dumb it is. Yeah, that's yeah. Elon Musk himself does function as as that the a microcosm of capitalism that demonstrates all of its like gaping failures. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a good adjective to use. <laughs> <laughs> gaping. Uh, um well all right. Well uh y'all want to talk about trikes? Ooh, do we have uh, a choice? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... well, I'm I'm kidding. Yeah, let's hear it. I I love a scam. Okay. Now, like I said, the, these are not all scams. Uh, some of I them are just every one of them is a scam. <laughs> <laughs> some of them were a little bit more optimistic uh, in in several ways than maybe they should have been. But um, we will not discuss those. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so I guess to start off with, the first car was actually a trike. the uh, The 1885 Benz patent Motorwagen, made by Carl Benz. You know, it had two wheels in the back and then one in the front. And a so it all started little... from the trike. Yeah. So, okay, uh, this might seem like an insane question. Is that like a wood-framed vehicle? I think it actually had a a mostly steel frame. Okay, because I, I, I saw something like that that was a reproduction of some old vehicle, and I was wondering if maybe I was seeing a reproduction of that, but I think it might have been something else. It was definitely partially made of wood. Um, yep. A lot of cars, you know, in the early 20th century, like, like, you know, uh, like 
Model A Fords have a bunch of wood in the bodywork and stuff like that. But uh, and then I'm, I might have seen somebody do like a, a reproduction of one of those, but I'm not a hundred percent. Yeah, no, I, I'm pretty sure um, Mercedes themselves has a uh, has a reproduction that they bring out for special events and stuff. But I guess to get some terminology, um, you know, with three wheeled vehicles, you can either have one wheel in the front, um, which is some call, sometimes called a delta configuration, uh, or you can have two at the front, which is called a tadpole or a reverse trike. So the delta configuration with one at the front, um, it's easier to manufacture from like um, if you're starting with like a rear wheel drive car chassis sure. with a you know like a axle in the back that's driven. And then the tadpole configuration is more suitable to like um, like a motorcycle configuration where you have just the rear end of a motorcycle and you put, you know, uh, two two wheels in the front, basically. And that design is a little bit more stable in turns um, because you have two wheels doing the cornering uh, better for braking also. And then um it's also can be more aerodynamic because you can have more of like a teardrop shape. So um, mm. I'll, I'll go through with these different ones, you know, which one is the tadpole design, which is the Delta design uh, and sort of like how that, you know, design decision affected the, uh, the car. And, and I'll, I mean, and for, I'll, so for like reference, like um, a good example of the tadpole design is like the uh, slingshot, right? I think so. Where you got two in the front, um, one in the back, and that's is that the KTM slingshot or what? It, wh- who makes that one? Do you know? I don't know. I always, I don't even know. I just know they call it a slingshot. Yeah, there's a bunch of these co- uh, companies. Like, I'll talk about a few of them. Like, there's so many of these companies that make get like a, a motorcycle rear end and put uh, gotcha. some kind of like a a two wheel front end on them and make it. Usually, it's like a two seat sports car kind of configuration. Can Am are the ones I see all the time, right? And those you sit on them more like a like a motorcycle or a snowmobile or something. The ones right? I've seen, you sit in it very much like a car. Really? Yeah, hmm. I think. I don't know. I hate them so much that I don't really pay close attention to details. Yeah, because like everything just goes red when I see them, and, <laughs> and then I like just wake up covered in blood, and you know, like. <laughs> Well, uh, well, don't say anything uh, too too illegal on the on the recording here. We can cut that out. I just hinted at something illegal, but also yeah. it wasn't true. <laughs> I am a liar. <laughs> um, yeah, what was I going to say? So the the I'm not really in this episode. I'm not really talking about anything that has um, like that you sit on like a motorcycle. I'm not talking about like the the Volkswagen based cruisers or the, the, the ones where you start with a um, Honda Goldwing or whatever, or, or a Harley for that matter. Um, I'm talking more that you sit in like a car. Um, so I guess the next big thing in trike technology uh, was Morgan. Um, Morgan has made various uh, three wheeled cars, excuse me, uh, off and on since 1932. And then these usually have a motorcycle engine at the front driving the rear wheel. And this was um, this was kind of in the age of what they called cycle cars, 
um, or like micro cars, um, sort of like in between the wars in the 20s and 30s. These were real popular. Um, and then after the World War II, also, there was a lot of um, micro cars that were, you know, because of fuel rationing. And uh, I think uh, so Morgan still makes some version of the three wheeler. I think nowadays it's a more modern, like water cooled engine and they they have more modern suspension and everything. But um, a lot of people like them just because they're kind of very basic and minimal sort of roadster uh, fun little car. Kind of like, I think, that um, slingshot thing that you're talking about. Another reason why people like three-wheeled cars is in a lot of jurisdictions, you can get away with driving one with... Basically, you can register them as a motorcycle. And you don't have to do the normal... Um, you know, crash test safety and like um, insurance and registration as much as a car, you know, it's a little bit simpler for, yeah. Yeah. And I think like in some, some jurisdictions, it's easier to get a motorcycle license than a car driver's license. So overall it's, uh, it's cheaper and easier. And, and that has led a lot of like startups and small companies to choose a three wheeler rather than try and build a full four wheel car. I suppose that makes sense. It's just a little less regulation. It's probably a little bit cheaper to produce. So, okay. I can, yeah. see, I can see how this happens. Yeah. And, and around the world, that's true. There's like, you know, multiple countries. Uh, I mean, most of the companies I'm talking about here are American or European, but like, um, there's a lot of these like three wheel utility vehicles in Asia, uh, all over the place, you know, so in uh, 1933, uh, American inventor Buckminster Fuller designed what he called the Dymaxion car. And uh, he had this whole series of, of Dymaxion things. Um, he, Buckminster Fuller is, is most famous for inventing the geodesic dome, but he did the, all these other sort of design exercises. Like he designed um, a house that, that's round like a flying saucer which I got to go inside of one at the Henry Ford Museum in Michigan. Um, it's a pretty cool museum, uh, even though it's, you know, named after a fascist. But um, if you want to see some some cool stuff over there. But he had a, he had a Dymaxion something else, too. But um, this vehicle, the car, it was a prototype that he hoped eventually would turn into a flying car. Okay. And he Ambitious. wanted to have... <laughs> he eventually wanted to have what he called jet stilts for instant takeoff and flight. Oh, hey, he was really thinking ahead, huh? <laughs> yeah. Oh, we'll worry about the rest of it, but I, I should make it so that it can lift off once we figure out the lifting off part. Right. Nice. But he's like, you know, you know, I'll make it so that it can just, you know, taxi around on the ground for now, and then we'll figure that out later. And it was powered by a, uh, a mid-mounted Ford Flathead V8 but it actually drove the front wheels through a flipped axle. Okay. So it, it basically had an entire 1933 uh, Ford drivetrain just backwards. And then, uh, and then it had rear wheel steering. So the, the rear end was like a, like almost like a rudder on a boat or something. That sounds like mm. a death trap. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Terrifying. Um, well, I'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's just a reason that nothing is rear steer. That's like, you need so much technology to make rear steer, not a death trap. Yeah. I mean, the other thing was because it was so aerodynamic, 
it tended to uh, turn into the wind. So that made it pretty dangerous uh, in any kind of wind. But it did have a really tight turning circle because of the rear steer. So it could turn basically just around its front axle. So it was at a, uh, a trade show in Chicago and an unnamed Chicago politician um, did a hit and run on one of the prototype, uh, which <laughs> nice. f- which flipped it over and killed the test driver Ooh. and injured the two passengers. Oh, that's fucked. Yeah. And they, so, and they got um, away with nobody seeing? Uh, someone saw because they knew, I mean, it says a Chicago politician, but it doesn't say his name. I couldn't find his name anywhere. I, I don't even... How does this situation... Like, somebody got bribed or something? Wow, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, def- definitely someone got bribed. Wow, okay. That's fucked up. Because I, I don't think... it's It said his car was removed from the accident. So that makes me think it was not, like, able to be driven away. That, like, he got a tow truck or something. Huh. Yeah. Okay, interesting. So, um, and I think there's... There's, uh, I think there's three prototypes of it built and then a few reproductions built afterwards. And there's a couple of them at various car museums um, if you want to see one of these. All right. So in 1947, used car salesman Glenn Gordon Gary Davis founded the Davis Motor Company in Van Nuys, California in order to produce, produce a Delta trike designed by Frank Curtis. After several prototypes, he settled on something called the Devon with a 47-horsepower Continental Hercules four-cylinder engine and four-across seating. So, a bench seat for four people. For four, okay, wow, that's like a, that is a, that is a moving sofa. <laughs> yeah, well, I think, I think Devon is another word for a type of sofa, so I think that, that fits. <laughs> okay, wow, this thing looks, uh, this is, what I'm picturing in my head is very, very goofy. Yeah, yeah I well, can't, I'm trying to fathom the weight distribution where you have four people sitting shoulder to shoulder on a three wheeler and that <laughs> not just tip over. Yeah, if you only have two people in it, that might be a problem unless you, you know, go on the opposite sides. <laughs> or like, hey, honey, slide over. We're going around a tight corner. <laughs> <laughs> so it had uh, aircraft inspired styling details as well as disc brakes hidden headlights, uh, and built-in jacks. So I'm not sure what that means. Like, I'm, I imagine, like, in uh, Speed Racer, it's got those jacks that that fire down and it can jump over obstacles. <laughs> but I, I don't think that's what it was. But yeah, I mean, I, I think I sent you guys the uh, the link in the chat um, if you want to check out the, the notes and you can click on the links in there to if you want to see what it looks like. Or just search for Davis Devon. Uh, and you can find it. Davis em- embarked on an aggressive uh, publicity and promotional campaign for the car, which included numerous magazine appearances, a lavish public unveiling at the Ambassador Hotel in L.A., and a promotional trip across the U.S. Uh, there were also plans to produce a hardtop, a convertible, and a rugged Jeep-like military vehicle, which, if you look at the uh, the pictures in the Wikipedia page, it looks goofy as hell. It looks like a Jeep with one wheel just stuck on the front. So despite raising $1.2 million through the sale of 350 dealerships, 
the Davis Motor Company failed to deliver cars to its prospective dealers or pay its employees on time. Oh, that's that's the real problem. Fucking assholes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so both groups uh, sued the company and the company's assets were liquidated in order to pay back taxes. While Gary Davis himself was eventually convicted of fraud and grand theft and sentenced to two years on a work farm labor camp, which I think we need to bring that back. I was about to say, I was like, wait a second. Hold on. Okay. Interesting. Um, All right. A bunch of tankies over here. Bring (laughs) back the gulags. (laughs) You know, I'm just wondering here um, why he didn't just declare bankruptcy and not pay any of it. (laughs) That seems to work today. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's a few stories coming up where uh, where people did not really do the most financially prudent thing. So uh, I- I'm not really sure. By the way, I'm looking at the um, so I am looking at the Wikipedia for this thing now. Um, looking at the pictures, this is not nearly as sketchy as I was imagining. Also, that bench seat for four people is being optimistic. I think. <laughs> yeah. I was like, because yeah. I'm like, okay, this is I'm imagining like a fucking sofa. With with you know a wheel out in front, um, and that's this is like maybe three people could squ- you know squeeze onto this bench seat. It's well, not this, like this, this is for four Dust Bowl era humans or <laughs> yeah. two modern Texans. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's yeah. So it's kind of cool looking. It, it looks like a little I don't know torpedo esque kind of thing. It's kind of cool. I, I like it. But, Sounds like it was a scam, you know, especially for the workers. Yeah. Who, yeah to definitely. be clear, by the way, uh, they're the ones who took all the fucking risk, not the bosses, because the bosses got right. paid. It was the workers who didn't. So yep. all that risk I like that the, taken by the workers. I like that his punishment was ultimately just work for two years too. <laughs> be a worker like, for a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, we're going to really show you. We're gonna make you do labor. We're gonna make you do labor, except we're also gonna cover all. We're gonna cover all your expenses while you do it too. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So the next couple that I have coming up aren't really scams. They're just kind of goofy, and I like them. So uh, in 1951, uh, the Czechoslovak sidecar manufacturer Velorex began production of a. three-wheel tadpole trike called the Oscar 54. Uh, so this is a little micro car with a 250cc two-stroke engine made by Jawa. So it made nine horsepower. Uh, but the real goofy thing about it is the bodywork was made of leather. Ooh. Okay. This is yeah. interesting. So it had like a sort of skeleton of like steel wire and then they just put leather over it because it's, I guess leather was unsafe. cheaper <laughs> oh yeah no they're oh, definitely not Jesus, safe at all. this thing is wow what <laughs> oh come on <laughs> oh my lord look at this thing it's like okay it's, it's like, like driving a suitcase yeah. <laughs> oh my god it's like if, this is like a kid building a fort but like the car version of it like oh yeah right. we'll just stretch this tarp over a really sketchy frame oh my god this thing is incredible what in the hell this wow this wasn't a scam though huh no i mean they made them for 20 years uh some people in Czech, whatever that country is called nowadays 
uh, you know, they they like them. They're enthusiasts or whatever. Um, I I still not entirely sure why it was made of leather. Um, I guess steel was expensive back then or something. They had a bunch of leather. Um, yeah, it was it was made till 1971, um, and then they briefly flirted with the idea of making four wheel cars. You know, still kind of micro cars, but a little bit more like normal with like steel bodywork and four <laughs> tires and everything. I like how they they make this wild bonkers ass. And they're like, oh, maybe we'll make maybe we'll make a car with four wheels. We're, we're thinking about it. Yeah, but our bread and butter is leather wrapped three wheels lawnmowers. <laughs> like <what> the fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, this I mean it's cool though. This would be a cool little side project, I think. Yeah. But uh but they weren't able to compete with, you know, the the juggernauts of the microcar market like Trabant and uh they they just went back to making sidecars after that, which they still do. They still make sidecars. Um I think it's a different brand name now, but Oh, wait, hold um, on. It does look it looks like they actually did make some kind of uh four-wheel convertible. Um, yeah, I forget what it's called, but yeah, or something. It looks pretty good. I, I like the I honestly, think, even the full like three wheeler still kind of looks like a sidecar with too many wheels. Yeah, yeah yep. it does. Yeah, <laughs> there's a picture on Wikipedia of the leather thing with uh, someone in the passenger seat, uh, and the look on their face just. It looks like they know they're about to die. <laughs> <laughs> they just have the look of just like grim acceptance. They're just humiliated. <laughs> that too, probably. <laughs> this picture looks like the, the guy driving is, is really excited and proud of this thing that he owns, and the other person is related to him and angry about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's 100% what's going on there. Yeah. Do you? Yeah. Where did you find this picture? It's the first it's like one the, on Wikipedia. Oh. <laughs> the guy driving also looks like that pig from the um, Studio Ghibli movie. Uh <laughs> I don't know. I can't oh, think of the name Porco of it. Rosso? Yeah. Porco Rosso. Yeah, he looks like Porco Rosso. Oh, I see the one that you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> the dude with the leather helmet and the goggles. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that thing. Fine quality vehicle there. All oh, the craftsmanship of the finest handbags. <laughs> now on wheels. <laughs> Oh man, can you imagine a Louis Vuitton car just made of leather? Oh god. <laughs> Anybody want to go for a ride on my Gucci motorcycle? <laughs> We're quickly approaching a future where like every company is going to make every like thing. Like yeah. soon there's going to be Google cars, Google I mean, well there already are Google phones and you know. That's yeah. that's like Samsung or uh Hitachi or or uh, I Yamaha don't or whatever. Just I don't like, remember the luxury brand. I think it, I think it might have been Louis Vuitton, but they released a Vespa scooter that was Louis Vuitton. Yeah, you know, I don't know if if there has ever been a socialist theorist who has really talked about this concept, but there has got there is a clear effect of like a consolidation of companies trying to expand into literally everything that they're also not good at, like. Every, you know, store you go to now, I, I started noticing, like, you, what used to be a clothes store, like, you're like, oh, I'm going to go buy clothes, and I'm just like, they have everything now. They're like Walmart, 
but like a little with more clothes. They're all they all look like Walmart now. Every fucking store, Target, Walmart, they're all the fucking same. And so I've noticed like that, and then companies like yeah, a who knows a Gucci fucking motorcycle, and also a Louis Vuitton phone. Like what? What is the what drives that? This like I don't know. There, there's got to be a way to sum that up into a coherent like theory of some kind. I don't know. Maybe it already exists. Maybe it doesn't. But it's it's weird to me. I don't know. I guess there's nowhere to go yeah. from there. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm just I don't know noting it. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a interesting phenomenon. Yeah, that fucking sucks. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it's definitely happening. Yeah, what do they call it in in uh, in Japan? It's called like a zaibatsu or something. Which one of those giant um, industrial conglomerates that makes all kinds of shit, like yeah. Fuji Heavy Industries or Yamaha or whatever. Yes, I mean, I feel like more and more every company is becoming that, and it's yeah, it's just weird to me. It's like, what what is the point of different companies anymore? <laughs> well, it's I mean, in in the U.S., it's more like you've got. Did we talk about this or was it, it was someone else I was talking to? But it, it had to have been off of this call because I've, I've had this conversation recently and I doubt that we've all coincidentally <laughs> had this yeah, conversation no. separately within the last week. It was last week. When yeah. We okay, yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I remember <laughs> talking about this with someone, but yeah. But anyways, uh, I forgot what I was going to say. I'll just get back to my notes here. Um Let's see. So in 1935, the Reliant Motor Company spun off of the Raleigh Bicycle Company. So they made, you know, these little miniature trikes kind of like the um, the Velo Rex or the um, or the uh, the Morgan three wheeler uh, somewhere in between those. And then they made all kinds of different three wheeled vehicles over the years. Uh, But the most sort of famous and popular was the Reliant Robin. Uh, which was a Delta style trike with a fiberglass body and a 750 cc four cylinder engine. Okay, um, I, li- I like so, I like where this is going. <laughs> so this began production in 1973 and was produced off and on in various forms until 2002. Um, you know they changed the name and the styling and they called it the Rialto, um, and I think that one had an 800 cc engine. So you know big hot rod but um it was all basically the same design and uh was this the like, one to um i don't know if you're getting to it was this the one that they like did on top gear yeah okay this is that one yeah okay. so like they had a reputation for you know tipping over because <laughs> yeah it's got the the one wheel in the front um and so on this top gear segment uh i forget what year it was from it was at least like 10 years ago. Uh, Jeremy Clarkson kind of hammed this up and he rolled uh, Robin six times in 14 miles. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, after afterwards, he admitted that it had been modified to make it less stable. So I think they put oh. a different size tire on the left and the right and like put a weight on one side. Ooh. So it would, like it would tip over a lot that's, easier. That's so cheating. 
yeah it's so lame all right because i i was like ready like oh this thing must have been a fucking complete which it probably was it, it was actually very dangerous <laughs> i mean yeah. you look at it and it's you've got a lot of car that is overhanging like you can get away with this design if like the tire is in the front but that's like the only thing there and there's nothing overhanging it this is like you're putting a car body that is pretty much a normal car body on top of one wheel in the front which, yeah, not not very stable. Whatever. Ooh, look at me. I'm Connor. I'm trying to live through the day. <laughs> <laughs> Generally a thing I'm, I'm relatively good at so far. I'm good at that until uh, the day I, I'm not. <laughs> I don't know if y'all saw this photo there at the end of the article, but... um. Apparently they were at times used as uh, banger racers, yeah, which is apparently um, like stock car racing, but they're encouraged to run into one another. It's yeah, it's like demolition derby. So if you thought they couldn't get more dangerous, they can. <laughs> How about you race them with a bunch of other people and intentionally try to run them into they one another? Some, it looks like in this photo, like they're they got a good crowd too. Like, there are plenty of people watching Dude, this. fuck, I'd go see I'd go that. i see this, yeah. <laughs> that seems yeah, This awesome. basically feels like Roman chariot races at this point. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, oh, someone might die. I want to go see it. Yeah. <laughs> I really do. I dream of a world where we have gotten rid of, you know, personal vehicles as, like, the main mode of transportation, but we also have, like, just everyone is involved in some kind of weekend motorsport. And it's just accessible, and you get to do goofy shit. Yeah, but hell yeah, yeah. That that's that's the dream world, but you know, not gonna get that anytime soon. I think that's called Finland. I think they. I think they're kind of like that. Yeah, they're sort of like that there. But yeah, so like I said, you know, in in the UK, I guess it's easier to get, or at least at one point, it was easier to get a motorcycle license than a car license. Um, so a lot of people. Um, you know, bought these uh, Reliant Robins, especially if they were uh, a little bit more down on their luck than the average person. And I think, oh, and they could actually like register that as like a, a motorcycle type class instead of a instead of like a regular car. Yeah, yeah, it was. Oh, um, yeah, it was registered as a as a motorcycle. Gotcha. And uh, what was I going to say? There was. Um, it was kind of used as like a punchline in a lot of um, like British sitcoms as like, you know, saying that, oh, these people are poor because they drive a Reliant Robin or whatever. Um, I guess yeah. there's a real popular sitcom called Only Fools and Horses uh, that as far as I can tell, it's kind of like uh, Stanford and Sons, but British. Um, and the, those guys drive a uh, Reliant Regal van. Is but, it also uh, is it is that also a three wheeler? This van? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like a panel van version of the same thing. That that's okay, that's interesting. But yeah, I think uh I think that's a good point to leave it for now. We'll cover some other more uh dubious uh companies in part <laughs> two, uh starting with the nineteen seventies. Com- companies and... that are even more dubious than their car design. Yeah, um, <laughs> some of them I really wish they uh, they would succeed, but I I have my doubts. So yeah, we'll we'll leave that mystery uh, for now and uh, come back to it. But um, anything else before we wrap up here, guys? 
Uh, nope. Just, uh, uh, I don't know, rate and review the podcast if you like it and come visit us on, you know, social media. Type in our name and you'll find us. Yeah, we like hearing from you guys. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Oh, and um, I'll, I'll kind of tease this right now. We were talking about this uh, off air of possibly doing like a call-in show or like a live stream or something like that. Um, if we can figure out the uh, logistics of that and we can, you know, get some some listeners interested uh, in, you know, calling in at a certain time, uh, we'll, uh, we'll make that work. But uh, yeah, I'm not sure when exactly that'll happen. Knowing us, or, it'll it'll be a while, but yeah, <laughs> we're slow. So, I, I think we've said this before, but uh, if there's something that we mentioned as like, oh yeah, we're totally gonna do a, a an episode on that in the future, and we haven't for like the last four months or whatever, you know, uh, listeners, uh, hold our feet to the fire and tell us, hey, I, I really want to hear that uh, that episode about whatever. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but you know, it might be hard to believe, but we are not nearly as uh, um, organized as we present ourselves on the show. And I don't think I've gone out of my way to present us as organized. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm definitely not organized. Yeah, I, I find that I find the idea that we're less organized than we seem very believable. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's uh, I think that's that's all I got. So you know, follow the social media and you know, give us a review or whatever. Much appreciated. All right, everybody. You guys have a good day. Bye. All right. Yeah. Good night. Thanks for listening. Why, why do I keep saying good night? Who knows when they're listening to this? <laughs> Just because we're recording this in the afternoon. Go to bed. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, good go night. Take, you go, go take a quick now. nap, and then you can get up and do whatever else. Capitalism works if it works at all because it always has socialism to bail it out and, and to subsidize it. Ask any race, any real race. It don't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Winning's winning. In the 1980s, 50 corporations controlled most news media in America. By 1992, that number shrunk to two dozen. And today, only six corporations control 90% of everything Americans see, hear, and read. The money spent on the Iraq war alone, which killed one million people, 5% of Iraq's entire population, and planted the seeds for ISIS to flourish, could have covered all global investments to halt climate change trends.